For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. In 1926, six-year-old Richard Stanley showed symptoms of diphtheria, um, which signaled perhaps uh, an outbreak um, of the, the deadly contagious disease in his Alaskan remote town of Nome. Um, when he passed away a day later, uh, Dr. Curtis Welch began immunizing the kids uh, of the small town, but quickly he found himself running out um, of the vaccine, which was effective at spreading sort of the outbreak of this deadly disease. Um, a, a group of trappers and prospectors volunteered. Remember, this is 1926 in the middle of winter in Nome, Alaska. Um, a group of, of trappers, they, they, they volunteered to make the trek with their dog sleds. Uh, 1,100 miles of frozen terrain from Nome to Nanana. Uh, oblivious to frostbite, fatigue, exhaustion, the danger, the isolation. The teams mushed for 144 hours in minus 50 degree temperatures until um, the serum uh, was, was delivered to Nome. And uh, it was effective and the outbreak was averted. Um, but what I, what I see in, in that, that team heading out on dog sleds in the minus 50 degree Alaskan winter is the, the cost they were willing to pay. The pain, the sacrifice, um, the danger, the cost they were willing to pay, and what it meant about the value uh, they placed on, on their kids. I mean, it's not surprising, but there's something I think about the cost which shows what a true value is. So, uh, we're in uh, Matthew chapter 27, starting in verse 24, and this morning we look at the cross. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather uh, that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourself. And all the people answered, His blood be on us and our children. Then he released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus delivered him to be crucified. Um, Pilate was under pretty immense pressure from Rome to keep the peace. And, and there was about to be a rebellion and uh, they were fomenting. And, and, and he was in a kind of a tough spot between a rock and a hard place. Um, he acknowledges Jesus' naive innocence. And I don't think Pilate is a hero figure at all. But I think he, he does try uh, to avoid having to crucify Jesus. Um, Pilate attempts to send him to Herod instead, so passing him off to Galilee, Herod, but Herod turns him around and, and returns Jesus. Um, he tries the paschal amnesty, which was releasing a prisoner, assuming that uh, if it was between Jesus or Barabbas, that um, they would see the insurrection in, in Barabbas and what that would mean for them politically, but no, um, they chose to release Barabbas. Um, Herod pro, um, proposes a compromise, or sorry, Pilate proposes a compromise of scourging Jesus, which was this horrendous fate of being flogged to, next to death. And, you know, he, he, he tries flogging Jesus and making him look um, just inhuman, hoping that that would satisfy the wrath of, of the leadership, but it doesn't. 
Um, he tries to turn the case at one point back to the Jewish authorities, but the Jewish authorities still want to hear it because they don't have uh, the authority to crucify Jesus. Um, Pilate protests that Jesus is innocent, and, and then eventually he washes his hands uh, of it. Uh, and there's an irony here where um, the Jewish leadership and, and the crowd say um, that his blood be on us. And um, it's sort of a reference in some ways unintentionally back to the Passover where or the blood of the lamb uh, averts the wrath of God. And then we look um, even to uh, AD 70, where the Jerusalem temple is just destroyed. And it's, um, it's been seen as, as evidence of God's wrath and judgment on, on that generation and, and on the Jewish leadership in the temple. Um, and so, so it, there's an irony there in that sentence. Uh, verse 27. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole battalion before him. And they stripped him and put on a scarlet, put a scarlet robe on him and twisted together a crown of thorns. They put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put on his own clothes back on him and led him away to crucify him. Um, there's a, a deep cruelty in the guards towards Jesus and um, it comes out in some ways, even just in the cruelty and animosity between the Romans and the Jews um, as well. It's coming out there. And there's a sobering irony here of the God of the universe in this humble position, willfully taking uh, the beating and the mocking of these guards. Jesus had already been scourged with a cat of nine tails, um, you know, where, where it just rips flesh, exposes bones and organs. Um, and then he had a crossbeam tied to his shoulders. Uh, and uh, that crossbeam weighed upwards of 100 pounds. At one point, we see Jesus falls. Uh, and, and you can imagine falling with this crossbeam uh, tied to your shoulders, to your arms, and you can't brace yourself, and you're falling flat on your chest with, with the weight of the cross coming down, that crossbeam coming down on his chest. And um, some scholars believe that that may have actually really begun the, the process of Jesus dying where um, he began to crush uh, his heart, um, that it's already been stressed and weakened by the flogging. Um, he's been bleeding profusely and then he lands on his chest. Um, and that probably begins the process of death for Jesus. Uh, then we see verse 32. As they went out, they found a man of, uh, a man of Cyrene, a Simon um, by name. They compelled him, this man, to carry his cross. And um, you can see Jesus is so weak at this point. Uh, again, he's fallen, he's been beaten, um, his heart has been damaged, and he can't even, he's, he's too weak to even carry his cross. And so we have Simon uh, helping Jesus at this moment. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall, but when he tasted it, he would not drink it. Um, it seems to me that that, that was, um, again, it was just a, a cruelty. That Jesus would have been so parched and thirsty that they offered him something to drink and there would have been this promise of relief, but it was probably mixed with myrrh and it became way too bitter to drink. And so um, the, the hope of, oh, I'm going to get a moment of relief and something to drink at least, and then you taste it and you have to spit it out immediately just because it's too bitter. Uh, it can't be swallowed. And just another cruelty shown to Jesus. And, and some believe that maybe it was even given on a sponge that was used in an outhouse, an outhouse sponge. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Uh, Matthew and, and the other gospel writers really do kind of gloss over what crucifixion really was because it was so horrendous. But 
Um, we often see depictions of Jesus wearing this loincloth, but that's not the case. Jesus would have been hung up before this crowd, the King of the universe, God himself naked, fully exposed, humiliated. Then they sat down and kept watched over him there. And over his head they put charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Um, another, another, another piece of irony here in this story, an attempt to mock the Jews as well in the city. The two robbers are crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And again, like we talked about yesterday, that word robber probably actually meant insurrectionists. These were rebels. Um, these were violent rebels. And, and here we have Jesus who preached um, peace, meekness, crucified in between them. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests and the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He can't save himself. Here is the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he, des- if he desires him. For he said, I am the Son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Can you imagine Jesus there helpless, hanging on the cross, mocked, taunted? And um, the cross, some scholars believe that it was the worst way humans have ever invented to kill someone. Um, The word excruciating um, was developed as a way to try and talk about the experience of crucifixion, excruciating um, of the cross. That word was trying, it was created for that experience. The cross was so horrendous that it wasn't for Roman citizens. It was absolutely humiliating. It was to put people on display and say, thus this will happen to you too. It was an instrument of fear to keep people in line. Um, The process of crucifixion um, was just awful. Jesus was, was laid out on the cross after he'd already been um, scourged, which wasn't always the case. Um, And his arms would have been stretched out so much that his shoulders, at least one, if not both, of his shoulders dislocated. Um, Then a nail was driven through the ulnar nerve here in your wrist. It's the same nerve that runs up your arm when you hit your funny bone. Um, The pain that sort of radiates through the side of your body, it's the same nerve that goes through your wrist. It's so sensitive. A nail is driven through that part of your wrist in between those bones, suspended on the cross. Um, the, the, the knees would be bent slightly with a, with a block put under them and then a nail driven through both feet into that block. And, and as they were then hung up, sometimes feet off the ground, sometimes only inches off the ground, again, just, uh, just this torturous psychological torture. Um, as they were suspended, the way that someone died on the cross is actually suff- suffocation. To be stretched out in that way, you could, uh, you could get a breath in but not breathe out. Uh, and you began to suffocate, and the only way that you could actually complete a full breath was by pushing up on your feet, um, taking some of the strain off of your arms and, and, and free up space in your diaphragm. But the problem was that by pushing on your feet, you also get that nail driven through them, and, and the excruciating process of, of trying to get a breath only to slump back down once again. The process of crucifixion could take 
days. It really was this fight between your own um, exhaustion and the body's um, the body's response and desperate need to breathe. And, and those were the two forces that were fighting against each other. And often it was just when someone became so exhausted that they couldn't even their body couldn't even force them to take a step up and breathe. And you think about also being naked, exposed, while people intentionally came to mock the torture and the the horror of that. And um, even thinking about the birds and the bugs that you couldn't swat away on your bloody face. For Jesus, he he was beaten so badly and and scourging in the process of falling on his chest that, that, that for Jesus, this process only, only took hours. Um, but as, as we look at the horror and the cost, the pain, the revulsion of the cross, um, I, don't think, I don't think the timing of it was a fluke. The timing of it, it didn't just happen. This was the plan all the way along, that God didn't have to use the cross to bring us redemption. God chose to. In Isaiah 53, hundreds of years before Jesus, Isaiah talked about the suffering servant being pierced for our transgressions. In Deuteronomy 21, there's a curse on anyone who is hung upon a tree. Um, that was referring to those who, who uh, were uh, traitors and, and were publicly displayed after their death. But, but there's something pointing as well to Jesus who takes our curse on himself by his being hung on the tree. There's also the direct correlation to the very weekend that Jesus is crucified is on Passover weekend where the, the, the Lamb of God is slain in order to avert the wrath of God. And we look at the cruelty and the pain the humiliation and the torture, all of it on the cross was intentional. That God chose the cross as the instrument for our redemption. Because they, they show us the horrendous nature of our sin and what had to be done in order to deal with our sin. We see the cross as the destiny of Jesus from the moment of his birth. And it points to the full nature of God's love for us because the cost that God was willing to pay, the cost of the cross, shows us the value of our redemption. The cross and, and, and the horrors of the cross show us the value that God places on you and on me. How much God values us. The cross is horrendous, unspeakable. Well, yet God chose to use it as the way of showing us the full expression and extent of his love for us in spite of our sin. And we see our value in his eyes through the horror and the cost of the cross. Let's pray. God, we thank you um, that you do love us so much. God, um, we are in awe and humbled by the reality. We can't even imagine the unspeakable reality of the cross and that you would choose to use it as the, the means of communicating with us how much you love and value us. 
the horrendous, wicked nature of our sin that you were willing to take on yourself to wash us clean through your sacrifice. And I pray, God, that you would, um, that you would communicate your deep, deep love for us through this horrible instrument of the cross, that we would see it anew this Easter. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your sacrifice. And thank you. Thank you that you were willing to go to that extent for us. We pray in your mighty name. Amen. Well, um, we're looking forward to um, yeah a great Easter weekend reflecting on the love and the sacrifice and the hope that we have in Jesus. Talk to you soon.